There comes a time in the life of every modern person when the rat race necessitates a detour, a chance to choose at random an off-ramp, an escape, a quiet, if you will, quitting. This is that time period, as brought to you by System Mastery. Today's episode is Monster Care Squad, a game about rescuing benevolent monsters from their wounds in a world-gone utopian. Yes, we've chosen the road less trampled, the path of no resistance. We've studied the way of the bladeless. We've chosen Sweater Weather. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to System Mastery. Changing my energy up a little bit between the intro and the now, but that's fine. That's what I do. That's how I roll. You got to stick with me. We change things up. We're going to take some sharp turns. (laughs) You need to come along for the ride. That's right. Yeah, sorry for the uh, the shock. I know this is supposed to be the cozy episode. so I Yeah, can... but we're shock jocks. I know. We were too much of shock jocks, which is why, of course, we've got so many uh, naked models here in the in the studio with us right now, and we're going to help each and every one of them uh, with interventions into their various alcoholisms. Oh, no. Yeah, but mostly it's just like, you know, showing us their boobs. Mostly. But they're naked, so they're already doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're yeah. done. We did it. Great well, job, everybody. <laughs> alcoholism yeah. cured. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A lot of lives saved here today. <laughs> uh, look, this one goes out to the troops. You don't need to call me a hero, uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you do. It's stipulated in my contract. <laughs> Actually, right here. If you if you do appear on the show, you need to call me a hero. If you could simply initial here that I am a hero. <laughs> Thank you. Uh... <laughs> So uh, I'm Jeff, and that's John. How are you? I'm doing good here on this most sweatery of occasions. Yeah, we're not really in sweater weather yet in San Diego. It was like 81 here on my half of the of the uh, hills, and I'm sure it was hotter over where you were. Yes, indeed. But we're pretending it's sweater weather, and that's okay. I mean, it it gets cold at night. Yeah, that's fair. You that's know what the is, big yeah. thing about this time of year is it'll be 80 during the day and then go way down to like 40 at night. That's fair. You know what? This is the time of year when the night sweaters come. <laughs> I got them night sweaters. <laughs> Should let them go. So, uh, yeah, g- good. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Uh, as mentioned in the uh, intro, we are going to be discussing Monster Care Society today. By I Monster believe- Care Squad. Monster Care Squad, not Monster Care Society. I might need to go back and change the intro. You might. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. I was going to call it the Aldemura thing, too, but I didn't... <laughs> uh, we we, we read that Aldemura thing. I don't care about my job or what I do. <laughs> I care exactly as much as is necessary to keep it going. <laughs> Good. That's what the people want. Peter Principal. <laughs> I just have a short memory for things. Leave I, me be. I will never. <laughs> <laughs> Let me check. I wrote a script. Let's see what it said in it. Let's see. Let's Let's check the tape. Uh, today's episode is Monster Care Squad. Oh shit! Hey, hey! Now, did you read it right? Is no, the I did not. Obviously, yeah, no. not. Go on. I, I, mean, I know famously you cannot read, which is wild that we did this show. Yeah, it was a bad choice. And we, another show where we read stuff. Yeah, for years now, I've had to purchase the uh, hieroglyphic version of Star Wars novels because I can read some pictograms. Yes, provided I'm allowed to point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can only read if I point. Yeah. What a what a great thing. <laughs> Hey, I got I got a point at this or else I can't read it. <laughs> hey, you don't know. You have <laughs> no you, idea. Would you po- get into the fly teleporter with a pointer? Huh? <laughs> okay, even if I did, that'd be no reason to make fun of me. No, I would just like you more because you'd be part dog now. Yeah, no, I'm definitely part dog, but not a cool one, just a pointer. Yeah. 
I mean, I just insulted a bunch of people who are way into pointer dogs. I don't know, like Irish setters or whatever. Yeah. What's a what else is a pointer dog? I don't yeah. really know. English pointer hound. Okay, that's a good one. I don't <laughs> even know if Irish setters are. Yeah. What they're was more, the dog? They're more about setting things than pointing. Yeah, things. they just set stuff. They they uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they'll set the table for you, uh-huh. but they won't point at the table. Yeah, that's exact they're really good at playing the game set. That's exactly it. Yeah. I can't remember now if, if they're good at pointing at stuff or if they're good at retrieving fallen ducks. <laughs> it's one of the <laughs> it, two, it right? It could be both. Could... They're very good at pointing at ducks that fell down. Like, cause I, when and I was, then laughing. When I was a little kid, I had I had an Irish setter and a, and a, uh, a Cocker Spaniel. Those are my childhood dogs, right? Uh-huh. And I remember the Irish setter was really good at some work th- function, but I don't remember what it was. Now, this is what I was being told, not what my dog did. What my dog did was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember if it was that they were excellent pointer dogs that would indicate towards prey, yep. or if they were dogs that when you were a duck hunter, if you shot a duck, they had specially designed mouths, like they'd been bred for soft mouths, so they could go out into the into the swamp and retrieve the dead duck and bring it back to you without mauling it with their nasty teeth. Uh, they are mostly uh, used to go find game. Okay, so they are pointers. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, there we go. There's your answer. In case anybody was wondering what... Irish for all those are for all those ghost <laughs> podcast listeners out uh-huh. there that love dogs, uh-huh. love specifically Irish setters. They're like, when are they going to talk about the Weimariner? <laughs> I don't know what those are for either. I assume you store pencils in their fur in their uh, their folds. Oh, Wait, man. that's Weimaraners. I'm thinking you're, that's uh, th- that's the dog that's used for those uh, videos, <laughs> the, the the Sesame Street videos where the guy pretends his like his like brown hounds can talk, but he has nothing fun for them to say. Ah, is it that those are Weimaraners? I'm thinking of Sharpays, other yeah. ones with the faulty. Sharpays are the are the wrinkle boys. Yeah, what the hell are they? I, I'm sure they're for bull baiting or they're something. They're mostly for fighting. Yeah, I was gonna say they make sense as a fighting dog because you can get a hold of them and not really do much. Yeah, they they got bred for the fold so that you know when other dogs would bite them, they're like, it's fine, you just got fat. Yeah, Weimaraners. Meanwhile, I don't know what they're for. Except they're pointers. They're, they're pointers. But otherwise, I, I only am aware of them as some guy who who has like seven or eight of them and is a professional photographer, and he'll arrange them on top of like human peasant dresses and stuff. And they'd be like, yes, uh, here's Missy. She's making Thanksgiving breakfast. Go, Missy. You're showing them. Oh, ruler, how 12 are your inches? It's just boring. Like, he can't think of anything fun to say. Uh-huh. So, anyway, that's why Marauders. Let's just go ahead and go through all the dogs. <laughs> what a great thing to do for this episode. Let's just start here. I, just I think, go I think through every dog. We're just going to come back to it if we don't. So, we might as well just go through every dog now. <laughs> Look. It's an every dog night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my favorite cover band, Every Dog Night. We're going to start with the Commodore. That's a that's a big one with lots of hair. <laughs> start with the Commodores. Wait a minute. Damn it. <laughs> We're going to cover every Motown number <laughs> group. So, uh, no. Okay. Monster Care Society. Squad. Monster Care Squad Society. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Monster Care Society Squad. <laughs> uh. Monster Care Squad. Get it together. We live in a squad. <laughs> Woof. I'm sorry. I'm having a. I'm having a fun time. <laughs> You're having a great time. It today. seemed like I was perfectly normal today, didn't it? But <laughs> See, apparently it not. Seemed, seemed normal and is entirely normal. Out here playing lightsabers with my kid. It was not a problem. Ugh. She is very fun. She just goes like, "Dad, okay, okay, okay. Now pretend, pretend that you're the bad guy and I'm your helper, and that I'm doing an evil laugh." I, I love the pretend I'm doing an evil laugh, and then she does a laugh, and you're like, yes, that is an evil laugh. Yeah, yes, listen to your good evil laugh. <laughs> She's like, good, thank you. That's what I wanted, thank <laughs> That's you. What I wanted. 
It's very easy to play with her. She lays out every one of the instructions quite cleanly. Uh, okay, so Monster Care uh, uh, Squad hey. is uh, an interesting game, and it's relatively modern. It was kickstarted recently, and it's by a company, I think it's Sandy Pug Games, that I personally tend to really enjoy. There's a lot of good stuff that's come out of that. I've been following them since, oh God, Orc Stabber. Mm. which was more or less a, a fun joke Kickstarter thing where they would send one, a one-page RPG out to everybody with, like, custom rules on each one of the pages. Great. Really fun. Really neat. Um, this one is an interesting design. It's it's more or less designed to be a fully non-combat game that still works with the mechanics you would expect from combat or, or a game that normally would support combat, so it still has some interesting mechanical weight to it. Yeah. Uh, but it's designed... From the ground up to be combat free, like they they ha- they designed the entire world this game is set in, so that you don't accidentally you don't find a way to twist it to make combat happen. Yeah, I mean the entire idea behind the game is that it is set in a post-capitalist utopian society. Uh, squad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's set in a squad. It's set in a post-capitalist utopian squad. <laughs> This is my post-capitalist utopian squad. We call ourselves the Wolf Pack. <laughs> I roll with a group of troublesome bachelors. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So it's a utopian post-capitalist, no-scarcity society. I mean, it's not that there's no scarcity. It's that there is, like, Star Trek is a post-scarcity because they can just make whatever. Yeah. There is scarcity here, but it's all about community and unions and there is no capitalism there's no kings or gods there's only monsters and people doing what they can to help each other yes everyone's helping each other out and doing what they can yeah which is it's interesting given that a large part of this is also about like oh you'll go to a place to try and cure a monster and you'll need to try and get stuff to do it and i'm like yeah, if I go to any place and I'm like, hey, the monster that you all very much love and that has helped your entire town for, I don't know, millennia is uh, sick. Can I just have whatever the fuck I need to cure it? And they're like, no, you got to roll haggle. And I'm like, why? <laughs> the whole point of this is to not have that. Oh, you can skip rolling haggle if you want to go get me an apple from the giant who still needs a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, it's it is a lot of, well, you see, I will give you what you need to make a cure for this monster, but first, I'm like, there is no but first. I'm curing a monster. Yeah, and you the need monster's to stop. like the local god of society, like, and I show up in the official uniform of the guy who cures monsters. And this monster not being cured probably means the death of thousands, so maybe don't. And your first thought is to try and milk me for labor? To be yeah. like, oh, well, what and you like, should do is go get me, I don't know, a can of beer. And you're like, what? Fuck you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, look, veterinarians specialized in healing the gods of our world have come to town. Let's see if we can rook them into painting our fences. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was, this is one of the few games that we have done on this show where I have played it before. Yeah. And man, that was definitely, there were some issues I had with this. I love the idea of the setting and the gameplay idea. But there were a lot of times during play where I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I like the output of character creation. I think you come up with some really cool little guys. Yeah. They seem like a lot of fun. There's a lot of neat stuff in the character creation engine and in the way that they choose to uh, kind of incorporate their tools and describe the world. Yeah. So there's a lot of neat stuff. This is a neat book. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm, I feel like I have a worse reaction to it than I should, largely because I read it over the course of a, a very short period of time, where it feels like a leisurely book. Like well, the way to cry, the right way to read well, this, especially one is the last like half. hundred pages yeah. of this hundred and seventy-five page book. You're like, oh, this is all just interesting minutia about the world and the world fucking rules. Yeah. And so you're like, oh yeah, if this was like every time I go to the bathroom, I read about a cool, awesome town or some monster. weird monster. You'd yeah. be like, oh, this is great. But if you're like, my job is to read all of this immediately. You're like, yeah, another town. Great. What do they got? Some monster. Great. Cool. What's next? Oh, hell, look at that. This town's the Skimbleshanks, the railway town. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, what kind of monster we got here? Bombalurina? <laughs> Done. Always trying to put cinnamon on stuff or whatever. It's catnip, probably. <laughs> oh, this monster broke all human laws. That's weed. Ooh, this, <laughs> this cat's wearing a trench coat. It just took it off, and somehow that made all the cats look naked. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, Let's just go through all the cats real quick. You know, it's only, <laughs> if we can, if we can we just can stop real quick. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I was, I was in New Orleans recently, and I bought that fucking book that Cats is based on. Oh, the uh, the pra- guide to pra- the practical whatever. guide to good cat names or whatever. Yeah, I bought that and I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm buying this." <laughs> I need a book that has the original Skimbleshanks poem in it. Skimbleshanks rules. Skimbleshanks number one. Cat. Number one. As long as as long as I'm I'm uh, we're calling out Tom Hooper's Cats 2019. I got to point out that the one good part of that movie is Skimbleshanks the railway cat for the sure. The cat of the railway yard. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like all these songs that are are uh, fronted by professional dancers are the only good part of that that's any good because they're the they're the ones where they're like, no, you can skip all the weird shit you're doing with click tracks and five track studio recording and having us try and sing along with a pianist who we can't hear. It's uh, I'm just gonna dance to a beat and then you can do whatever you need to do after that. <laughs> then you just do whatever. Yeah, which you can you can tell because it's the Derulo song and then that one like the good songs. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Total digression. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we haven't done any of those yet. No, no, of course not. <laughs> so, yes, uh, the world that you are in, super idyllic. It's been like a thousand years since there was any war. Uh, they got rid of all of the like gods and emperors and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is very nice. All the communities are, you know, super helpful. It is Basically one big Pangea continent that is dominated by a desert in the middle. Yep, big central desert. And then, you know, a bunch of different biomes all around that. Uh-huh. Uh, and for the most part, you know, up until basically when this game really, like, has your character start in it, things were fine. It has monsters, but the monsters are all like, oh, I'm some benevolent thing that does whatever. Yes. So, you know, I'm the monster that brings rain, or I'm the monster that brings, like, new growth, or whatever the monster is. Yeah, like, there was that neat one, the desert has this cool storm earth dragon that's flying around in it, and uh, where it, it flies low to the ground through canyons, and where it goes, it shapes the earth around itself, and thus creates paths through the canyons that people will follow as part of their seasonal migration patterns, and that's a neat idea. It's, it's very neat. Like yeah. I said, everything in the setting for this book is... Very cool and very interesting. Yeah. Fun to read about. The the town that has basically a monster that has unionized all of the rats, Uh and the rats will make demands of the people and be like, we're basically, like, demand a seat at parliament as rats. Yes. Yeah, that was Nicolo Colo, the rat swarm. 
That's a neat one, although I'm still kind of struggling to see what they were doing that was beneficial to society before they got sick in the first place. It sounded more like they were beneficial to rat society. Well, yes. And and that uh, that's going to inevitably lead to conflict down the line. Huh. Uh, you know, su- such as is permitted within this world. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, if all the rats are like, no, you need to feed us, do whatever. I'm like, no, nah, or can we leave? Yeah. You just, just have the just, town. I don't care. Just not gonna. <laughs> What are we getting out of this? Because normally we like to like celebrate you and throw big parades and give kids sweets that are shaped like you and taste like you. But uh, we're not going <laughs> to yeah, taste like taste you. like delicious rat. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> but it isn't, you know, like Pokemon where it's just like, oh, all of the animals are monsters. It has regular monsters. They're, you know, fish and cows and whatnot. Yeah. But then also monsters and monsters are. You know, they can be small, like they can be the size of your hand or whatever. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, monsters in this setting are like actual magical earth shaking beings. Yeah, they actually have a a line in there that says that the average monster in the world, like the most common one, is roughly the size of an elephant. Yeah. Uh, Which is and then most of them, very few of them are that size. It feels like it really is an average. It's to make up for the fact that a couple of them are like 2,000 meters across. Oh, yeah. And then there's a bunch of microscopic. The space one that's like, oh, I'm enormously huge i'm a meteorite basically and then you've got the ones that are like i'm a bunch of tiny things like i'm a bunch of rats there's like four swarms of things huh. you got multiples that are just oh a bunch of microscopic fungus and or bacteria or whatever yeah you've got so, the the giant like amoebas that yeah. can spell out words yeah I, th- I thought that was funny that that process came up twice through while reading through the book the ones that was like this is a diffuse cloud of microscopic stuff and shocking and contrary to what you may have expected they are some of the most communicative monsters that there are because they can form themselves into pictograms and words in the air and the, or just talk by vibrating various bits of themselves and then they just do it again like 30 pages later and this with the same kind of lead in with like you won't believe this but this thing you're like yeah you already did this one i i get it because this is written by a, a pretty large group of people yeah there were a ton yeah. of guest writers to you know make towns make monsters stuff like that yeah so it's not too, it's not too surprising. Mean, you know, you're going to find some occasional duplicates where most of your book is taken up by really cool monster ideas. And that was one of the other things I had with this book in practice, uh, specifically in character creation, because you are going to make a monster care specialist. Mm-hmm. You are a veteran of mm-hmm. caring for monsters from their school of monster care. Yeah. And... You go out and you get a squad and you go cure monsters. Society. Yeah. Yeah. You go out into monsters, <laughs> care squad, and cure a society. <laughs> I mean, that's not wrong. <laughs> the, uh, but the thing is, it feels like there's not enough different types of ways to be a veterinarian that having multiple characters end up feeling super different. Yeah. It's like, all right, there's only so many ways you're like, all right, well, what can you do for like your forceful physical strength version of training? And you're like, I don't know. There's like a couple things. And then once you get into that, you're like, I don't know. I guess I do the same shit someone else does. (laughs) I don't know. I guess I have that giant syringe that the little gnome with a telescope used on Falcor in that one part. Remember that? And Falcor was like, Well, that would be the special equipment section. (laughs) Yeah, but I like that's my specialty is knowing how to inject big guys. (laughs) Just give them big injections. Oh, oh yeah. I know that's your specialty. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, um, 
when you're making a specialty or specialist in yes, this. Yes, thank you. Uh, Five stats. You've got your stats, which are force, which is pretty much your physical strength and like big, strong actions. Your fine, which is motor control, delicate work, you know, precision things. Yep. Your grit, which is your stamina or your fighting spirit. Anything that's like, oh, I'm going to persevere. It's mental and physical endurance. Uh, acuity, which is all of your perception and thought and observation and all of the sort of like mental stuff you're going to be doing. It's some kind of smart stat. And allure, which is your standard charisma, your ability to be a leader, or you know, haggle. Yeah. And within those, you will have four trainings and one background. Yes. So... Under each one of the stats, you will either put a training or a background. Uh -huh. uh, as I said, four of them will be trainings. One of them will be a background. The trainings are generally like, what's a thing that you either like a class you took or a specialty you have in actual like care? Yes. So it could be, you know, like, oh, I'll do like for my fine, I'll put phlebotomy in there. Sure, sure. And, and uh, it can also be in service of your care. So, for example, a lot of the time when you're chasing down these monsters, you're going to have to climb up to where they are or, you know, there's a lot of navigation and research involved. So you can you can broaden out what you're assigning it to, although it does still kind of leave a limited list, especially for things like force, which is just sort of, you know, your strongliness. So it can be a uh, it can be a little tough to come up with like three or four. You're going to end up putting things like climbing and hurling and, and uh, forcing this monster's damn mouth open so we can put this pill wrapped in cheese in there. Yeah. And uh, the background that you get is just sort of a, what's a thing from your life? So rather than being based on, like, any special training and stuff that you have that way, it'll be like, oh, when you grew up, were you really good at dancing? Or were you good at cooking? Or whatever it is. Just sort of a non-veterinary thing that you can do. Yes. Yeah, so, and uh, it's tempting to put that one because it doesn't directly relate to your, your care of monsters into the, because again, or not to again, but as a quick introduction, these are very PBTA-ish stats. Yes. This game has a lot of PBTA DNA. Yeah, this game really feels like a PBTA Forged in the Dark mashup. Yes. Because it also definitely goes heavy on the clocks for all of, like, Oh, if you're doing a thing, you've got a clock and you need X amount of things filled in before you can uh, finish that up and be a success or a failure. Yeah, it's some sort of powered by the dark system. <laughs> uh, when, Forged in the apocalypse, whatever. When you've got your stats, you will have two of them at a plus one, two of them at a plus zero, and one of them at a minus one. Which is hilarious because it has a little sidebar where it's like, Oh, the numbers it show what type of, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. how good you are. It's like, oh, if you're at a plus one, you're a highly trained professional. At a minus one, you're a capable amateur. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> at a minus one, I suck big ass at this. I mean, you haven't seen how bad people who really suck at it are because you can't make them. You can no. only get as far as a minus one. But yeah, it's it, the problem is when, when we're saying that, what we really mean is this really uses PBTA mechanics. As in, it's got the standard roll 2d6, add that stat. Six and below fails, seven through nine partial success, ten plus permanent success. You'll notice you don't get any plus twos in there. You don't get start getting those until you start 
advancing down career tracks later on. Yeah. Um, which means the plus ones aren't all that huge of a swing. You can expect to succeed roughly, what, 60 or 70% of the time. Basically. With a plus one and with a minus one, you're looking at like 40%. Yeah. You're not as, it says you're a capable amateur, but without leveraging a lot of additional mechanics and tools in there, you you pretty much just never want to roll. Oh, yeah. And this it's, leads to uh, to some problems. It's especially interesting because whatever you put that minus one in, so many of the moves in this, because it has the standard PBTA move list, mm-hmm. in addition to you can pick some signature moves for yourself. Yeah. But in the standard move list, if I, say, decide, oh, I'm going to put my minus one in, fine. I'm kind of clumsy. I'm not exactly good at, like, fine, delicate work. Well, fine is also the thing you use to, like, come up with a plan, which means no matter what my character is doing or how much I might want to, I will never say I have an idea on how we do this because then I have to roll for that and then I might fuck us. Yes. Yeah. Especially because once you fail at something in this game, you can't just have someone else go, that's a great idea. I'll roll it. That's not because this game doesn't work by saying I'm announcing the move I am going to do. It's, you know, it's like a a standard modernized PBTA where rather than uh, being prescriptive where you say things like I'd like to discover the dark roll 2d6 plus grit uh, you say things like my character has a great idea and they say that sounds like making a plan roll 2d6 plus fine yeah and you don't you don't want to do that so you end up in the situation where you will kind of be like oh I have a great idea and then you'll text the person who has plus one fine <laughs> yeah uh, I mean I guess you could play it with the big risk of failure but Given that the six and below in this game is very much a you must retreat and you can't really try this one again kind of thing. Yeah, the I mean, we'll get into it when we get to the phases of play, but there are some definite issues with the specifically being a PBTA system. I know that we have talked about Powered by the Apocalypse games before on this. Very recently, in fact, this is an accident. Yeah, but. Man, there are some times where I'm just like, I just don't like this very much. And I'll get into why when we get there. Yeah. Uh, When making your character, in addition to having your trainings and backgrounds and whatever your plus ones to minus one is in your stats, you will get a signature equipment. Uh Uh-huh. That can be whatever signature thing you have that no one else does that you use in your, you know veterinary work so uh whether it's something where you're like oh i've got you know a cool bit of rope that always goes where i want it to so i can always climb or yeah i've got you know that big needle to go <laughs> stab falcor with or whatever oh! yeah you know um wh- whatever your piece it, it counts as a character ace which we'll explain in a second but you pick one thing to become your character's default most important thing yeah you've got a cool thing that you can use once per session essentially by the way we didn't explain necessarily we say you get a plus one plus one zero zero minus one for your stat array we didn't explain what those those trainings and backgrounds do if you are making a role and you can justify that that is a relevant aspect of the role you're making then it becomes another plus one so for example if you're like i have a specialty in rock climbing and you're like well this monster's at the top of a a tall pillar and you're like great i'll climb my way up there which i will be using my my i don't know let's assume force Mm-hmm. Um, which is already a plus one. And because my specialty in force is rock climbing, I'm going to take the specificity bonus and get an additional plus one. Yeah. So that's what those are for. Um, uh, okay. The last, the other thing you're taking for your character next is your, spe- it's, I think it's called a specialty, yes. but it's basically just like 
a cool thing about your character, two cool things about your character that are unique. Yes, you have two unique things that your character is not just good at, but essentially you will never have to roll to do. Yes. Like, there are two things that you just always succeed at. It's, you know, whatever your cool thing you can do, and it can be, you know, super mundane, it can be magical, whatever it is, but they do go out of their way to go like, look, don't just go, oh, I can shoot laser beams from my eyes and instantly cure any wound. Yeah. Like, you can't use this to trivialize the game, but, you know, like they have the examples of, oh, you can jump higher than anyone else and identify any plant by smell. Yeah, they do a great job. It's more of a vibe check thing, but the vibe is pretty obvious when you read their examples. Like the first one of the don't do it is like, this guy can instantly kill anything he sees and run as fast as sound. Yeah. Which is a terrible choice because sound can't run very fast. <laughs> It can propagate quickly through an atmosphere. Yeah, so it, can I. But <laughs> Wink. Hey. hey. <laughs> what <are> you? <laughs> nice. Hey. Nice. Good. Sh good shit. But uh, but yeah, basically just nothing that would break the game or sound completely irresponsible. But you know, a good example is like I can brew a night eye potion or navigate by starlight. Yeah, and they even have like, oh, this character can levitate for a short while. And you're like, okay, if you want a little magic thing. You can do magic stuff. Honestly, there's even a move, because we'll get to the two cool moves you can do. One of the moves is straight up just, you're kind of magic. Yeah, yeah, you're a kind of magic. Um, it's it's neat. Basically, you can also be a kind of magic without even taking that, provided you're using it primarily for RP self-description. Yeah. The character creation here is extremely loose and fluid in terms of what you are going to be. Uh, if you want to be, like, half bug, and you're you're in a wheelchair and you're blind, fine, go for it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. If your character has their left half is rabbit and their right half is a magician that's pulling the rabbit half out of a hat right now, that's fine because that stuff's all just role play description. <laughs> your right half is a magician. Your left half is a rabbit. Your middle half is a hat. <laughs> what? Of course, I have a middle half. It's all descriptive. It doesn't matter. None just, of that. None of this matters. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So it's uh. It's uh, you can pretty much build whatever you want. They just say, hey, this is a big planet with lots of interesting societies. If you want to play as some sort of anthro creature or whatever, it's going to slot in somewhere. Yeah, because one of the big things in here is uh, the beliefs of a place have metaphysical weight. So like the stories that a town tells about history or how things work or what is or isn't medicine or anything like that have enough metaphysical weight to change reality to bend around that. Yes, effectively, science and faith exist on this planet, but they're localized, Yeah, as so opposed to being universal. If I go to a place and they're like, oh, we're all technology, and we, we've got, you know, like, superconductors, and we've got electric lights and whatnot, and we all just use good old-fashioned tech, you're like, great, if I go to some other places, like, oh, we have lights, but they're all powered by, you know, pixies or whatever, that works there and it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just whatever works wherever you are. It's also a great tool so as that given that this entire game is travel to a place and solve its monster problem and cure that monster of a disease um, or a wound that you can't be like, well, last time when we were in technolo technological town, I picked up the universal panacea, the giant pill that, wore, that cures any monster of any condition. And I'll just carry that around with me for all the rest of this. And th that way you can be like, uh, no, local medicines work on local monsters. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, everyone needs the stuff that's found in their particular kitchen. <laughs> you can't you can't brew up a colon cleanse for this monster out of that neighborhood. Nah, that shit sucks. Yeah, so 
it's a it's a neat way to do it for both descriptive purposes and also for balance purposes to keep you from just carrying forward everything you pick up after you finish an adventure and being like, well, I invented the world's greatest bandage. Why would I put this thing down? Yeah. Uh, then you pick two moves out of a pretty long list of moves. Surprisingly long, yeah. Although yeah, a lot normally of them- in PBTA you have a playbook that yes. will give you some moves you will pick. This is just, here's a giant fucking list. Everybody's playing the same book. You're a veterinarian for monsters. Yeah, pick two of these things. And there's there's a giant list, and some of them uh, are moves, and other ones are more passive benefits. And each one also has a neat feature, which is that they can be upgraded once through the course of play by what's called a monster gift, which is like after you cure a monster of its horrible wo- or its issues, uh, they're all more or less benevolent and universally fairly intelligent and so on. And they will often share magical gifts with people who have helped them or helped their towns and communities in some critical way. Yeah, and that's also why you can have someone who's like, oh, I'm like partially anthro. Like, yeah, probably some monster just went, oh, I bless you with the gift of having cool hoppy feet. Now you kind of rabbity. Yeah, yeah, you're a little rabbity. You're a little rabbity. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that is what that boils down to is mostly just that you took one of the uh, the marks on an advancement track, the, the advancement track having... Uh, one of your powers is upgraded to its monster gift. Yeah. Uh, so each one of them has a jacked up monster form, which once you turn it on, it's just permanently on now. Um, also, a lot of them are more useful than others. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get a thing and you're like, oh, what is this? Oh, it gives me a whole new move. I can just find extra stuff or it lets me, you know, when we actually get to the point of you know, curing a monster, it'll make it easier or it makes it easier to find the things that I need to cure it or it lets me get supplies for the group. And then other times you're just like, oh, what's this? You're a badass in water. What does that mean mechanically? I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Or all the ones that pretty much provide you with an extra dude, whether it's a, a mount or a companion or a, 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 a person training. training, like, a, yeah, like an apprentice. All of them are, at least before they get their monster gift upgrade, they're all just like, you've got some guy. There's something that's around you. They kind of are helpful. And in what way? I guess you can use them in description, but there's no mechanics for them at first. Yeah, it's mostly like, oh, you could send them back to town to get stuff for you. And I'm like, yeah, but in narrative time, if I didn't have them, I'd still have the ability to go do that or else the game wouldn't work. So functionally, they do nothing. We'd still figure it out. You know, it's narrative time. So we'd just be like, uh, narratively, we'd take an extra hour to go back to town. Yeah, it's not like if I didn't have a companion that I could send back to town, the GM would go, oh, you don't have a companion. You fail. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, uh, and all of them upgrade into something different. Like, they sound really cool. Like, when you're reading the writer one, which is you have a cool mount, and they're, like, loyal and bound to you. uh, And also... In the thing I really enjoy, it's like, also, you can just assume that you always have enough food for them yeah, and a place for them to sleep and so on. That's stuff that we don't want you to have to worry about. This isn't you taking a penalty. It's you taking a cool mount. Yeah. That said, it doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't have a description about how you can use it to, like, navigate areas that would have been unnavigable to you uh, or fly or anything like that. It's just sort of you, you're sitting on a cool dog that moves the same speed you would have. You would have. Yeah. Um, And when you upgrade it, it let's it that you can uh basically now you can use the the mount as your it'll have your stats yeah so it can be out if the if the mount is out doing something and you're not you can have it roll with your stats for things yeah uh and some of them are like oh you've got a a backpack full of stuff and this game has a stat that is supply yeah that is very integral and useful to a lot of things 
But the person who's like, oh, I have a bunch of stuff with me. Oh, does that mean you have more supply? No, you have five prep. And that just means you can pull out like a mirror or a stepladder or a torch or something. And you're like, okay. Again, this feels like a move that is stopping me from doing that if I didn't have the move. Like yeah. I normally would just go, oh yeah, my character obviously travels around prepared to help out monsters. Yeah, they've got like a fucking razor or whatever for shaving. You're like, no, you don't. You don't have this thing. I'm like, okay, well, either it works that way and I'm annoyed or it doesn't work that way and Pack Rat does nothing. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it's only useful if you can previously est- establish you didn't have a thing or you already used it or something like that where you're like, uh, great, yeah, you guys used all your rope to get all the way up here. What a shame, right? Because uh, we've been establishing that when you when you come up, you have to leave the rope behind. Um, so now how are you going to get back down? Uh, well, I have pack rats, so so I did not run out of rope, as it turns out. I still have rope. That'd be like the only situation I could... Uh, otherwise, yeah, it creates a, a, a... Like we were saying, this is one of those problems you run into in role-playing games from time to time, where someone will add a really cool power to their role-playing game without realizing that it creates a uh, complication that now everyone else who previously just assumed they'd have that ability don't. Yes. it It happens with several things where you're just like, oh, I guess I can't do that normally then. Like, oh, you can create a trap. And I'm like, could I not do that before? Like the trap one, I feel like you could create them and it was just sort of a, you're making a generic fine roll or something to create one. There's two trap ones. One of them is like, you're better at upgrading traps. And the other one is you can make a special trap that makes a sound like an animal is dying. Well, yeah. Because the sound of a dying giraffe. Trapper, which is just, you can construct a simple non-lethal trap and describe its function. And then the guide will tell you one of the things that sucks about trying to make that. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, but there's no, like, when I make it, it doesn't go, and now mechanically it does whatever. I'm like, I could just say, hey, my dude, can I put a fucking box on a stick or whatever? Like, yeah. It Again, it's one of those, like, oh, I assumed I would just be able to do that. Yeah, it's weird because a lot of these I really, really enjoy. Like, they have neat writing and concept to them, and they add something to the world. And other ones are like, wait, what happens if I don't have this? Like, oh, yeah, let's go fishing is an example of that for me, where it's like, you can go fishing when you want to. And on a uh, 10 plus, you'll catch a big fish that once you let it get all nice and rotten, a monster will want to eat it. And on a seven through nine, instead, you find a boot with like an, like a, a, a something that someone in the town might want in it. And I'm like, what happens if you try to go fishing without, you, you just, you just you don't think of it or you get a fish, know. you just get a fish, but it's a special kind of fish that monsters don't want. Yeah. Like what, what are we doing? Whereas there are some like soft narrative whisper is fucking great because it's just, Oh, when you cure a monster, you can do that sort of like anime thing where in that like denouement moment, the camera like swirls around you and you just quietly explain like, oh, and I wax poetic, like truly it was the lightning and the thunder that exists within all of us that rained down. And now the monster is within all of us now. And you're like, oh, you can do one of those. Like, I'm going to explain something afterwards but it has a full mechanical benefit to it. I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. That turned a thing I normally would have done without a mechanical benefit into one that does have one. Yeah. Great. Also, just as a passive benefit, I really like, uh, I think it's open the hidden eyes or something, which is just, hey, this world's got lots of weird illusions and stuff in it. They don't work on you. And yeah. that, that's great. I like that. Uh, and when you upgrade it, it becomes, 
you can treat illusory stuff as real for a while if you want to. You could just reach out to things you know were illusions and use them anyway. <laughs> and note that other people would not be able to do this because those things are illusions. Yeah. Like, that's cool. That's a really interesting narrative. Meanwhile, you've got stuff like I Hope This Works, which is just, uh, you know, if you've got some stuff but it's not the right stuff, you can describe how you improvise to use that stuff anyway. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this game if that's not standard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's... There is a weird thing where you go through this list and you immediately begin to pick out the, all right, this does nothing, this does nothing, this does nothing. Oh, that's a cool effect. Yeah. Yeah, like the one, the, the, I hope this works is basically whenever you explain how you can compensate for a, a, a task you want to accomplish, but you won't, but with the tools that you currently have available, you can roll plus grit. And you're like, well, great. All you really did was specify that I have to use one stat instead of when I before this power existed in my mind where I was like, well, anytime I need to MacGyver some shit together, I'm going to describe it using the relevant stat and assume that it's going to work because MacGyvering shit together feels very basic and not like a special move. See, but I hope this works is just, hey, you can get an ace, which That's is true. you do get an ace. Great. Yeah, because normally it'd be like, oh, I'm using improving something out of the tools I have and I'm just rolling a regular move. Yeah, you're right, because it's just a narrative function at that yeah. point. This is this is something slightly better. Yeah. Uh so after you get your two moves, you're basically done. Uh you will have some supply, like I said, every session you'll have one supply. Yeah. And that's a thing that different moves you can get. Some some moves if you fail will take supply away. Uh-huh. If you run out of supply, you're kind of boned for a, a while which is again the game even goes like oh their money doesn't exist and most people will be fine with trying to like help you if you are messed up but it just means you don't have extra stuff on hand uh -huh. which again if i'm curing your local god i should probably have all the stuff i need <laughs> yeah there should be like a look at our white mage uniforms like obviously inspired by final fantasy white mage uniforms you know why we're here give us the tools yeah uh, but in addition to you creating a character, the guide or the GM for this game also creates a character. They create the mentor. Yes. So every care squad is going to have a mentor who's like, oh, I'm your cool professor friend who sends, gives you missions, tells you to go like, oh, we heard a rumor that, uh, the monster down in this town needs help and sends you out to go do that. But it's not just an RP thing. Like they actually have moves they have and one they've one they have a set of unique moves but then they pick one unique one or special one i'm sorry and they can go like help out they yeah. can show up uh they can send help to you yeah there's it's interesting that they are an actual pc they aren't usually with you usually you go up by yourself yeah and you're just like yeah we go do our thing and if things get fucked maybe the mentor will show up to help or send help along but it is interesting that at least there is a character creation for the GM in this. Oh, yeah, it's neat. I like the concept. It's a great way to work a GM PC into the game and keep, and keep them involved in feeling like they're a player without having them overshadow things by just knowing what's going on all the time. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a neat trick, and I like it. I, I am not as big of a fan. I think, I think it's just had all those moves and not having to pick one. Because a lot of them create interesting narrative questions. Like, mm -hmm. I'm looking at one right now that's red carpet treatment, which is... Your mentor is good at finding a a uh, honeycomb hideout in every new town your your party goes to. Yeah. So when you go there, they can roll um, plus fine and try and get you a cool place for your group to stay. And like on a 10 plus, you get this whole royal red carpet treatment with all the equipment you need. 
on a seven through nine. You pick like a thing, but it's you pick one of four options, but it's missing some important supplies. And on a six or less, you get like an an infested, haunted, haunted mistake place that you should not be in. And to me, that creates the question of what if I didn't have this power at all? Like what? You, I guess you just don't get anything, right? No. When you walk into town, you're like, "Hey, do I have a place to stay?" And they they have to be like, uh, "Yeah, there's there's nothing." But you know, we are a hospitable people who yeah. Have, you'd just be like, "You're in the local hostel," but it's local- not like. Here's a full lab. Yeah, for but you, you know what's better than the, you know what's worse than the local hostel where nothing interesting happens is when you get sent to the haunted rat hole because your GM PC rolled a six or less. Yeah, I but if that happens, you're you just go, like, oh, I, I rolled a six or less. You get a uh, haunted basement. And we're like, uh, I'll there's stay still, at the hostel. There's a youth hostel, right? <laughs> so this actually does not have a fail state. Yeah. No, I'm good. <laughs> pass. Hard pass. Which it, it's just weird. Like I, I just feel like this would be the sort of thing that's a baseline move. Uh. The, let's see, and then there are a few things we haven't really gone over. Uh, aces, we've mentioned a couple times. There are different types of aces, but they all do basically the same thing. Uh, a character ace is uh, your special equipment can be used as a character ace. Yep. Your trainings or backgrounds you can check off as a character ace. Uh-huh. Uh, and when you spend it, they're gone for a session, they'll come back essentially after you heal a monster uh-huh. like once you finish up in a place yeah which sounds a lot easier than it actually i i forget if it's heal a monster f- to full or heal a wound off a monster oh heal a full ass monster heal a full ass. it's a lot harder than it sounds yeah that sounds like it might be an encounter power it's not it's barely a daily but you get all of those are character aces and when you spend an ace uh you get an additional d4 so instead of 2d6 you roll 2d6 plus 4 excuse the math a little bit more in your favor yeah uh, session aces are usually what you get from like, oh, you did a move really well. You got a 10 plus. You can get a session ace or whatever. Yeah. Uh, they work the same way, but they aren't renewable. They're just like, oh, I got a special herb or I feel especially inspired by one of the townsfolk or something. And once you spend it, it's gone. Yeah. A lot of them are generated by moves or, or uh, just by doing cool stuff. And they give you an, another. It's a D4. Yeah. So you get a D4 from both of these. Uh, um, and then the last one, the critical ace. Ooh, the critical ace is pretty much only if you succeed all the way at the first two phases of this game, because it has three phases, mm-hmm. uh, you can get a critical ace, and it's the same as a session ace, but it's a D8 instead yeah. of a D4. Yeah. Uh, the three phases of this game are the uh, diagnosis synthesis and symbiosis yes so in the diagnosis phase you have to figure out like where's the monster what is their problem what are their wounds what are their symptoms what what's going on with them yeah what has it done to the town who's who's in need and why what what how is this messed with the local system it's oh we haven't mentioned the thing that is going wrong with monsters is called the false gold yes and it is an infection that basically makes a monster go crazy they get weird wounds it could be like oh they get like growths all over them or uh you know their feathers turn to stone or whatever it is but they also happen to get a thing where like most of them it's called the false gold because they'll also have on any wounds or things like that dripping this sort of thick viscous golden liquid yes so you'll have like oh they're crying like golden tears or they'll have a big slash on their side that's like 
oozing this golden pus or whatever it yeah. is. And they can also have other types of injuries if you want to. If you want to skip the false gold for a session or, or even for a campaign, you can. It's just the one that the game came with. Well, I mean, that's what all of them are called. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, it's just that if you wanted to be like, uh, this monster was clumsy and flew headfirst into a wall and he, he needs a bandage. I mean... Not really, given that that's not at all what the game is about. Yeah, it is. It's just treating boo-boos. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, the false gold is, is the default thing that's wrong with monsters. Yeah, that is why the monster care squads exist. Yeah. Because a giant wyvern got infected with this false gold and straight up, like, destroyed an entire city. And everyone went, oh, fuck, we need to find out a way to cure this. And you know who'd be perfect for that? Well-meaning amateur children. <laughs> Let's go find all the town's 10-year-olds that really like monsters and then, uh, I don't know, give them some band-aids Bring and tell them Bring me the pluckiest ones. What if they get really good at it? What if they, like, learn all the things there are to know about being a cool monster hunter? They retire and are replaced with more plucky children. <laughs> we we don't want people that know what they're doing out there doing stuff. <laughs> we want them back here teaching. <laughs> okay, but that is a flying eye that shoots lasers the size of it that level mountains. Yeah, but I'm uh, sure these kids got it. Little Cub Scouts get it. It's cool. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, anyway, I, anyway, I'm just being cute. It's all it's all in service of the of the setting, and it's a really nice setting. So I'm not I'm not actually yeah. So once you have finished the diagnosis phase and you know like where the monster is and what is wrong with it, you go to the synthesis phase, which is coming up with a cure. Yes. This is the heartbreaker phase, not not in role playing game terms, heartbreaker, I, um, but rather in this this phase will break your heart because you're going to spend the whole time being like, OK, the monster's got this thing wrong with it and this thing wrong with it. I'm going to fashion up what I think is the ultimate perfect narrative cure. Um, I can't wait to try this thing. It's the exact right thing because it has the counter. I mean, that's really the symbiosis phase. No, that's when you try and apply the cure. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the part where you're crafting the cure because then you go to symbiosis and you apply it. And if you fail at symbiosis phase and you go back and you're like, oh, OK, the perfect thing that we thought of narratively doesn't do anything. So we got to come up with another perfect thing. It's got to be more perfect this time, though, so it doesn't fail again. Yeah, the synthesis phase is just like, oh, cool. I made a I came up with a plan. I've got a cool thing. And that's great. I'm going to come up with all the like lo ask the local wise woman what she uses to heal like burns because this monster has a weird burn on it. And I, that'll all help heal that wound. Yeah. And then you go through all that and you get to the symbiosis phase and you're like, yes, finally, I'm going to take this weird like aloe and sea salt mixture that the locals use to heal wounds. And I'm going to go up to this majestic god monster and I'm going to play it and heal its wounds. And it failed. And oh, well, I guess that, that doesn't work. Fuck me, I suppose. Uh, I guess I'll go to the local drugstore and buy some really big Motrin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... It's one of the, the big issues I have is once you get to symbiosis, you stop having the like, oh, we've got our clock and we need to fill in sections of the clock and we're trying to find out information or craft a thing. Then it's time to actually do it. But baby, monsters in this will fuck your shit. And there's no damage in this. You can't die from doing anything can't even get hurt i mean you can narratively but there's yeah, no narratively you could be like oh i got thrown from this monster and like i hit a wall or something you go ow that hurt yeah but there isn't a damage track yeah but there is a control track and you might just get pushed off of it and then you have to run away and none of your shit works anymore yeah or spend an ace just to stay on the field yeah 
Um, so before we get to that, though, the first two session uh, things, instead of working by uh, having this control track, which we'll talk about, they just have clocks. Just like Forge in the Dark clocks, where you pick the number of segments that exist on them, and then w- with each uh, player takes a turn, they do a move or attempt to do some sort of narrative function, which will presumably advance the, the clock. Whether you succeed or fail at that is up to the dice uh, and up to the, the canniness of your play. But you need to have more successes than failures at the end of any given round of uh, making your way around a track or, or a clock to complete that session with a success. And if you succeed at both, you get that critical ace going into symbiosis, which is so important. Uh, but if you fail at them, then you get small but not super, not not completely heartbreaking hindrances instead. You can still go forward to the symbiosis phase after failing to figure out what's wrong with the monster and failing to come up with anything to do about it. Yeah, it. there's also, like, at the end of Diagnosis, once the clock's full, if the whole clock is full, great. Uh, you can roll, uh, you just get a critical ace. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you roll with 2d6 plus however many segments are successful. Yes. On a 10 plus, you can either get an you can get an ace and ask a question about the cure. On a 7 to 9, either get a critical ace or ask a question. And I'm like, I'll get the critical ace. I'll figure out the fucking cure in the next segment. That's what the segment's for. <laughs> like, I get narratively going like, oh, I'd like to know more information. However, I can roll for information. I can't roll for more critical aces. Yeah, so yeah. go fuck yourself. I'll take the ace. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, in terms of the final the symbiosis track, you don't have the clock anymore. Instead, you have the control track, which is a list of dice from D4 to D12. Yep. And uh, you start at D4 and the monster starts at D12. But each move you make during this, there in each section, each uh, phase has its own list of moves you can do. Yeah. Uh, each move you make during this phase will generally have something that advances the control track, which means if you if you're pushing on the control track, you're moving yourself up by one. So you go from D4 to D6. If you're dropping the monster, then you are dropping it from uh, D12 to D10, and the two tracks are independent. You can both be at D10, for example. Yeah. Um. But most of the monster's moves just use the control track as its as its role. The control track for you, you just use it when you're rolling to cure the monster's wounds. Yeah, the the one thing with that is so much of the monster's wounds have effects, and a lot of them are spend an ace. Yeah, a lot of them are just spend an ace to do anything at all. They're like, this monster's got a wound that's creating a, li- a ri- river of sandy lava around it. Uh, you To approach it, you must spend an ace. Yeah, so before you even get to make a move, you're like, all right, well, I spend an ace on nothing. Yeah. Uh, that's a resource gone. And now I can try and do something. And especially in this, you're like, I need to get successes. And when you're at the D4 segment of the control track and you're trying to move yourself up, you basically have to spend an ace. Because you're like, if I fail and move down, we retreat. And we're just done. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you're not done. The whole, the idea behind this is that you probably will have to retreat and then come back. You'll get, like, a session ace. Yeah. But so much will bleed aces from you, and you need to spend them just to even move yourself up the track. But the dice on the track, you're just rolling one of them. Yeah, that's that in was order a to shot. Cure, and you need a 10+, plus, which means... You can spend aces on it, 
but you have to be at basically a 10 or a 12 to even attempt it without an ace and even with an ace unless you're spending a critical ace you're like i'm probably gonna need to be at at least d8 anyway because if i need a 10 plus i want to be at like d12 plus d8 will put me at like a 50 50 shot yeah that's the whole thing the uh if you're at the absolute max if you have a a critical ace to spend which gives you a d8 and you have a d12 you've managed to make it all the way to the top of the control track and you still have that critical ace then you can roll with what average wise is a 50 50 shot yeah i mean you're a little better than 50 50 uh, at yeah, that point better. but still yeah. you're like god damn it is not great because when you spend a critical ace which are only going to get like two in the entire thing because they're only from the end of diagnosis the end of synthesis yeah and you're like okay fucking we've moved up we had to sit here rolling over and over again and having failures and doing stuff. We finally got to a D12. I spend that critical ace and I rolled a one and a two. And well, fuck me. I guess nothing happens and we lose that. And when you fail on curing, you're just like, and we go all the way back down the fucking track. Good for us. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little, it can be a little disheartening. I, I'm, I was, especially if you spend an entire session just trying to get yourself to that point and then you're entirely at the whim of the dice. Now, we are being a little doomy here. Um, you do get to add any relevant bonuses to that cure roll. For example, the the example of play in the back of the book where they're curing the big tortoise that that uh, is really sad because a house got torn down. Uh, when they make the cure roll, they apply that the one guy has an, an acrobatics or calisthenics bonus uh, to his fine, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And he's like jumping onto a giant spatula to catapult soup into this turtle's mouth. Yeah. Um, and he's like well obviously since i'm using acrobatics to to launch the spoon into its or the food into its mouth can i apply my acrobatic specialty and the gm is like yeah absolutely you can so you you can get additional small plus ones here and there from various means yeah i mean basically you can get a plus one and then from a specialty and you can get a plus one from someone else helping you yeah and then your aces and that's about it yeah, um, the, the problem, of course, is that once you try a cure and it doesn't work, uh, narratively, it doesn't really make sense to keep just trying that cure again. I mean, you can if you're like, oh, the cure is we need to, like, break this growth off. You're like, I tried to do it and I don't. You're like, all right, you didn't yeah, get a yeah, good grip. up and do it again. Yeah. But if you're like, I spent the last session crafting a giant pill and I threw it down the monster's gullet and then I rolled a one and a two and nothing happened. Yeah, but at that point, you have to go, oh, it spits it back out. You got to get it down there. I guess. Or you can be like, yeah, that just didn't work. That just was the wrong pill. You're narratively figure something new out. It's, but you're right. It can also just cough it up. Yeah. The fact that, and this is again, I feel like my play in this colors a lot of my review in it, but it really did feel like the one bad thing with this is because you are spending so much time in that diagnosis and synthesis phases. And you're like, I've got this plan. I came up with this cool delivery system. You know, I'm going to shoot a rocket that's got like eye medicine in it and it's going to seed the clouds and then the clouds will rain eye medicine and it's going to cure the like crying golden tears that this monster has. And you do that and then nothing happens. You're like, hey, cool. I'm a cool guy that makes cool ideas. Nothing happened. 
fuck me, I guess. Yeah, and in that case, what are you going to do? I guess the rocket with all the eye medicine comes falling back out of the clouds in case you want to roll on that again. And it's like, narratively, that, that's It not... just takes the wind out of your Yeah, sails. exactly, because narratively, that's not fun. What's more interesting is coming up with a whole new plan, but then you feel like, well, I'm back at absolute square one here. Yeah, it... And I spent all my aces. Exactly, because you, you're at that point, you're like, well, we go back to, I don't know, synthesis again. We get another clock, but I'm going to spend all of my time just rolling and being like, oh, all I do is when I get the option for a move in synthesis to be like, you can either get an ace or mark a segment as successful. You're like, I'll get the ace. I'm just going to bank aces forever. I don't care. I just need as many aces I could possibly have. Yeah. Yeah, notably, uh, the cure m- move, which is probably the most important move in the game, the one that's in the Symbiosis track only, does not say what happens if you get a six or lower. No, just nothing happens. Just nothing. Just, yeah. just nothing happens, which is interesting. I would have figured you would really want to hammer home exactly what happens in that, because it's a fairly likely scenario. Yeah, and yet, no. It's weird, because you're like, oh, well, you can, at least on a seven to nine, you can heal the wound as well but like you will reset the track entirely yeah and you're like all right well at least that's annoying but at least i've done it hey it's great if it was a one wound left yeah you're like ah yeah. you're sure you're back at a d12 but you're feeling good you're fine though yeah it's man there's a lot of stuff in this as well that i'm like for so many of the punishments on a seven to nine are like lose an ace or lose supply I'm like, my entire first two phases are me just running around, grabbing everything I can find and shoving it into a backpack and putting as many aces into my bank as I can. Yeah. Of course, you have a limit because you have a backpack that can hold up to, I think, five supply. Or maybe that's just the companion. I don't remember. Um, and then at, what what are monsters like in this game? Because obviously we've been describing them for quite some time. They do get to roll in during the symbiosis phase. They can roll in moves against you and so or create moves that you have to deal with. Uh, but they they are powered primarily by their wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, monsters can have any number of wounds you want, but you don't really want to put too many of them on them because it gets narratively or mechanically kind of muddled. But they, they say you should have about three wounds. About three wounds. Each wound should have a couple of abil- uh, effects that are on it, usually an active and a passive, but there's nothing stopping you from putting a few more on there or from making two actives or two passives. Yeah. But for the most part, it should be one active and one passive. So you're like, oh, this this monster's got spikes growing from its eyelids that look painful and jagged and they're causing it to shoot fire from its eyes but also as a passive it can't be approached from any direction because it can see the reflections of you off of all the spikes Mm. so in order to approach it you have to spend an ace yeah um meanwhile the active effect will be something like push one and then choose one of the following advance on the control track push another one or make the player spend an ace yeah um, which means that they will very quickly, especially if they have multiple wounds that are activating, they will very quickly burn through your resources. Because push one is push the players down the control track. Yep. And, and you start if they at the have bottom. plus one control, they go back up. Yeah. And you're like, I, Jesus Christ, I can't deal with this. Especially given how many of the active monster wound moves are push one and then choose one. And the first th- option is push one. <laughs> and you're like, so you start at the bottom of this, tra- this ladder, right? And then as soon as the monster goes, it can be like, yeah, I push you to D4 if you're already at D6, and if you're not, then you're running away. And if you were at D6, I push you again, and now you're running away. Yeah. it Or I'm making you give up another ace. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, god damn. It, 
And the thing that's holding back that from happening, to be fair, I shouldn't mention that's like a universal thing that will happen to you. Yes. Is largely GM discretion. Yes. You know, the unlike, you know, a standard sort of turn based RPG where like, and now it's the monster's turn to go after yeah. you. Usually monsters will have these effects in either it'll be like, oh, because you are trying to deal with whatever wound, yeah. that will come into play now. Yeah. Or you know, you rolled, say, you were trying to administer a cure, and you rolled a six minus, you might go, okay, well, because you were trying to cure this wound, it now does a move based on that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so it's not necessarily like, oh, the monster went first because it got the highest initiative and it immediately ends the fight and fuck you. Yes. It's more like it, when, when a narrative comes around, it will hit you with some very disappointing stuff. Yeah. And it really is a the sort of thing where you look at it, like, God, even one of these wounds is just so bad, but having three of them active at a time, you're like, yeah, if you're the GM, you can't look at that and go like, yeah, and I'm going to use all three of these every time they do something. Like, you can't. They you will can't. immediately go like, I don't like this game. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, ultimately, the game is not about uh, a strong mechanical competition between the two resource pools between the monster and the players. It's about a cool story. Yes. And so usually the monster will act in service of the story and not just immediately use the tools at its disposal to end the fight and fly away. Yeah. And I mean, you can even see that in like the other phases. There are things where it's like, oh, what happens in this move for this phase? You're like, oh, you find something and they need help. And you're like, mechanically, that is nothing. It's just, oh, you find like someone out in the desert while you were looking for supplies and they need your help and you can help them because this whole game is narratively about giving help and sucker to people. Yes. So having that built in, you're like, yeah, this is supposed to be narratively about the journey, mm -hmm. but mechanically there are so many times you can get punished because PBTA as a system is about being like punishing choices yes making a choice and getting screwed over and having to deal with the consequences and it feels like maybe not the best fit for a game about like we're friendly people in a utopian society helping out poor monsters all right well here's the system about getting fucked over and dealing with it like you know, fucked up way. And like, I don't know, maybe PBTA isn't the best. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I would have pushed the numbers a little bit so that failures were less common because we have we have a, a set of stats here that's comparable to Monster Hearts and then it's it seems to be based on early PBTA when the numbers didn't get that high and everything was in a real close variance to that seven on the track. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, granted, that's because I haven't, you've played this, but I haven't. So I, I am not up to speed with how common aces actually turn out to be. It, I mean, you can tell from the book, there's, unless the, they keep saying, don't worry, you'll have a ton of aces yeah. in the text. And I'm not seeing where they're coming from. The thing is, a lot of the moves that you'll do will be like, oh, if I go to say, like, I'm going to do one of the moves in, uh, like, uh, diagnosis where you put for, put forth a hypothesis. You do the, here's what I got. You roll plus acuity and you can either on a 10 plus pick two on a seven to nine, you pick one. But one of them is gain a session ace. Yeah. The thing is, the other ones are mark a, mark a clock segment as successful. Yeah. Or you know where the monster is headed next or learn the name and effects of one wound. And I just mechanically keep looking at it like, 
Yeah, learning the name and effect of a wound is nice and all, but it's going to do what it's going to do whether I know its name and effect or not. Yeah. And I can just heal that shit with moves. And I can just use my the next person's turn to roll to figure out where the monster is going to go. I don't need to get it off of this roll. And it, it just feels like... Because there aren't a lot of moves that are like, oh, on a six or less, you lose the ability to do a thing or you don't move ahead in the track or you fill in and it's a failure or whatever. It it really feels like the game's like, oh, you should just squat in diagnosis and synthesis for a while and just constantly going like, I've got a hypothesis. In fact, I have 20 hypotheses, and I'm going to do all of them in a row until I get 15 aces. Yeah, maybe I'm unclear on that. Let me ask you the question. If if you roll a 7 through 9 on that particular move, and you choose, I'll take the session ace, because one of the other options is mark a success on the clock. Yep. Does that mean if you don't mark success, you mark failure, or does it mean you don't mark anything? I mean, as far as I know, it's you don't mark anything. But, because you can't, like, it doesn't have a, if you make any move, then either that move will end up with a success or a failure, because there are plenty of moves in both Diagnosis and synth- Synthesis where success isn't even one of the op- options on the board. Yeah, so you're fair. like, oh, I pull a thread where I ask around about information, and you're like, okay, I can pick for some of these, but none of them are, like, gain a success on the clock. So, eh. Yeah, I mean, I've just, I haven't played it, so I have not seen the ace economy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious to see that in practice to see if it actually does bear out where where these D4s that you're you're supposed to be gathering up and throwing at all of your, at tons and tons of your rolls are actually happening a lot. It didn't feel like we had a lot. Now, the fact that every character baseline has one, has six. Oh, that's right. Because all of your stats, stats yeah. are a ace that you can use. Yes. So the more characters you have, the more aces are technically available, but you have, I mean, one, they have to be a thing you can actually finagle into saying, like, all right, I am using my agility ace for this, like, does it count for that? And you mark it off. But if you do get pushed out and you're like, we have to retreat, you haven't cured the monster, you don't get those back. Those are gone. I was about to ask that. Does this game have a spiral down problem? Yes. If you do have to retreat, and you've spent a ton of aces, especially character ones. Like, you got super close. You spent, like, ten of your character aces between your party to get there. And then you just get a bad roll on that cure, and you fail, and they respond by pushing you right out of the control track. Yep. Then you're going to come back. You're going to try and find a new thing And again, back. you're going to sit in the synthesis phase going, every roll we do is we pick an ace. Something that can get us an ace. When we can pick from the list, we pick ace. And we just sit there farming aces forever. But we're almost guaranteed to go in with less aces than we tried on the first failed attempt because we spent a ton of our character uh, resources, and those don't come back unless we succeed. Yeah, and depending on how the guide moves the clock along for what you do, you could just be like, oh, if he does say every time you do something where you could pick clock segment successful and you don't, I'll move the clock forward. Then you're like, okay, well, we're never going to have enough aces for anything. Yeah. And if he doesn't, then you're like, great, we sit here for the next three hours rolling 2d6 until we get an infinite amount of aces and then we go in with them anyway. Right, yeah. So it's one problem or the other. I mean, granted, that second response there is very much out of the spirit of the game. Yes. Um, So I'm not, I I don't really, it's not something I I worry that will happen and I'm not going to judge the game based on that. 
but it is it is a thing where it feels like this game has a mechanically spiraling down punishing mechanic. Um, but I mean, if the knows? game feels like, because it keeps saying, don't worry, spend your aces liberally, you've got a ton of them and you'll get so many of them. Yeah. I'm like, if, me- like, mechanically, the math of this, you're thinking, you should probably be rolling 2d6 plus a d4 on most things, because that's what I assume will be happening, then I just let me do make the math that. Yeah. <laughs> like, the fact that you get into that sort of, like, Final Fantasy RPG thing where you're like, I have 99 full elixirs and I can't spend them until I get to the last boss. Like, where you're in the synthesis phase and you're like, well, I've got some aces, but I can't spend aces because I'm only going to spend them in symbiosis because that's the only time it matters. Especially because a lot of the monster moves are things like you can uh, push you down the control track unless you spend an ace. You just have to spend an ace if you want to even make a move right now. Spend an ace if you want to spend an ace. Yeah, so you're like, oh, I have to have a reservoir of available aces to throw at problems. And so when they're saying like, oh, when you're in the diagnosis phase, spend an ace if you want to do whatever. You'll have plenty of them. I'm like, no, I won't. I'll never have enough. I am a hoarder and a goblin and I will never have enough aces for anything I need. Especially because once you get to fucking Kafka, you realize you didn't need any of those fucking elixirs anyway. You already completely broke the game. <laughs> uh, Quad Knights of the Round go. <laughs> Fuck you, Sephiroth. Blech. Blech. uh okay so after that portion you pretty much have the mechanics of how to play the game down then the book switches to being largely just i I should say please do after you finish curing the monster there is one final thing which is moving on oh yeah yeah okay that's the advancement track basically yeah when you move on you not only get your advancement track uh but you also have the opportunity to be like okay you know figure something out about where you were or uh you can like ask a question about the next job or where you're headed next you get sort of a end of session looking forward thing in addition to like and i'll get a plus one to acuity or whatever yeah uh and i really feel like the best thing i fucking love the monster gifts in this because they're a great idea more than the like oh, i'll get a plus one which mechanically is far superior to anything else i could get from this advancement track getting a monster gift and having it upgrade a move i had to be a cool move seems real way more interesting than anything else because you're like oh i just healed this ridiculous god monster and it blesses me with something that's rad narratively and mechanically. Yeah, although usually it's more rad narrative, more the narratively than mechanically, because a lot of them, like I'm thinking of the one where it's like you can cast some magic, like you can create minor illusions, you can you can do little magicy tricks, and then when you get advanced to the next one, it's you can cast bigger magic. <laughs> okay, what does that do? How, what was how what was the exact size of the magic I couldn't cast previously, but now can? Uh, and you know, it's just like I, I some of them are absolutely worthwhile, like. Taking the uh, the one that's like, you've got a guy who follows you around. He's your companion and he helps you out. He doesn't do anything at all. He has no mechanical functions whatsoever until you give him the monster gift. And now he carries a backpack with five supply in it, which is friggin' great. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Uh, the <laughs> like some of them where you're just like, oh, yeah, it magically changes you and you get some ridiculous ability you're like that rules. And if it was already something that was like one of my main moves going yeah, and now you're just even better at it, and it can show up as 
either like an actual physical thing like oh the monster gave me a feather or a gem or something like that and now when i use this ability it glows or does something or it can just be like i was so inspired like the monster came and like touched foreheads with me and now i just carry the song of this monster in my heart so i'm better at doing stuff yeah, yeah. and it's it Functionally? everything in this narratively i fucking love yeah and then mechanically i'm like i'm not a fan of pbta is the problem yeah everything about this book from the art style to the, the writing all of that stuff is wonderful this book is a, a delight to read oh it's it's a gorgeous book too like that's the other thing the art in this and all the the, the writing in it fucking great mm-hmm. love it yeah pacha describing the way the sun hits the hills <laughs> <laughs> Temba, his arms wide. Uh huh. It's wonderful. But then you read some of the rules, and you're like, I don't, I don't know if that mechanically, I don't even know if that matches the spirit of PBTA to me. Like one of them is, uh, was it called, Song of the Summoning Song, where you can roll like plus a lure to uh, try and attract the monster to where you are by singing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a roll plus a lure on a ten plus. You attract the attention of the monster, and you call it back to you from where it is. Um, on a seven through nine, you attract an animal that may help you some other way. Okay, great. Right? That makes sense? Yep. The song version of it is, animals join your chorus, and now you can reach the monster with this song from farther away than you used to be able to. Yeah. But there's no mechanical... You'll note that the first part I mentioned didn't mention anything at all about distance. Yes. It wasn't about distance until this one introduced that new wrinkle. Yeah. Where you're like, wait, so there was going to be a time earlier where I tried to use my summoning song move that was one of my two special moves that I paid my character resources for earlier, and your response was going to be, sorry, but a chorus of robins didn't help you, so the monster can't hear you. Yeah, it's way far off that way. It doesn't hear you. Yeah. But now... It might be close enough to hear you because you have these other animals that are singing, but we're still not sure because it still might be farther away than the very far that it describes them as being able to reach. Yeah. But you'd be like, well, then that first situation would have never come up because if I'd been like, I would like to roll summoning song to try and sing my fancy song to attract the monster, perhaps I'll even do my special dance. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, anyway, the... <laughs> But the, the uh, GM is not going to respond to you saying, I would like to use my summoning song by saying, roll it. But no matter what you roll, you're going to fail. He's on top of a mountain. Well, they're, I mean, they're gonna no, s- they'll go, he's too far away. He's Don't too roll. far away, it won't work. And you're like, okay, well, can I get around that narratively? Is there a way I can get over closer to it or something like that? Uh, this is just like, I guess, a narrative way out of that. You can just be like, oh, well, if you were to ever say he's too far away, consider this. These deer are singing as well. Yes. It's, it is essentially a... Yes, but have you considered I am cool? Yeah, but if the if the GM wants that answer to be no, don't use summoning song right now. They'd be like, yeah, he's 15 feet further away than that. <laughs> I mean, for it narratively me, doesn't do it. It mechanically doesn't actually do anything. For me, the problem is, and we just went over Monster Hearts, and Monster Hearts is one of those games where I'm like, this took PBTA and used it in a setting and a way that I go, Yeah, this is what I want PBTA for. I'm a messy, shitty teen making messy, shitty decisions, and I'm ruining my own life and the people around me because I'm a selfish asshole and a teenager. Great. PBTA is awesome for that. Yeah. If I'm a kind, good-hearted person who just wants to help the community, PBTA does not help that function. Yeah, I think we've run into that because we've reviewed a couple of PBTA games now, and the ones where it has worked have been things like, you know, Monster Hearts and Power and, and uh, the actual the Apocalypse actual game, World. Yeah, Apocalypse World, where, yeah, shit's fucked up. You're in the apocalypse. Yeah, dude, you have to make a choice between, like, 
helping out your friend Stinky Pete or getting a new car. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's a hard choice for me in the apocalypse. And then the ones that we've read where we're like, I like the structure and concept of this, like the Kingdom Hearts uh, interstitial or this one, but it's because they're trying to write good heroes doing nice things in a world that's nice and good. Yeah. And you're like, but the mechanics aren't for that. The mechanics are for, are you going to rescue your pet st- friend Stinky Pete or is tomorrow you're going to be eating him instead because it's a hard life. Yeah. The the whole mechanical structure of the you can basically only have a good thing happen on a 10 up, which very rarely happens, is like, yeah, because we want failure to happen because failure is part of the setting. Like, the fact that you will fail at things is baked into Apocalypse World, Monster Hearts. You, like, the idea of you're a failure how do you deal with that is the question that the game asks and uses the mechanics to reinforce that. Yeah. In a game like this, Monster Care Squad shouldn't be asking, you're a failure, how do you deal with that? It should be asking, you're a professional, how do you help those around you? And in my opinion, PBTA is not the best mechanical system to represent that. Yeah, I think the idea here is that, you know, you're supposed to be a plucky beginner. Um, there's a reason that you have an automatic mentor that's kind of the GM PC character. Uh, so the question you start running into is, why are you a plucky beginner? Why would they send plucky beginners to do these impossible super tasks that are monumentally important? Oh, yeah. If it's like, yeah, we sent these beginners out to go help, you know, an actual elephant-sized monster whose biggest thing is, I don't know, he snuffles truffles or whatever. Uh You're like, great, that's the assignment you send to them. But so many of the sample monsters in here are like, What's this? Oh, it's a giant fire lizard and it shits magma and that's before it becomes infected and be and starts like spewing lasers out of its ass. And you're like, dude, I don't what I don't send a fucking fourteen year old to go deal with the magma lizard. Yeah, I needed like three more sentences there that explained why like the last crop of monster care squads all died, and now you have no choice but to send these like bliss stage kids out to go do it. Cause you cause like like, otherwise, you'd think it's a giant society of a million people who all do what's best for, for the society as often as they possibly can. We're like post-crime here. Yeah. And and yet they're still like, well, what do we do when the local dragon god goes crazy and starts crying lava onto our buildings? We send our Cub Scouts. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, no. Until you are a cool, awesome professional, you probably shouldn't be dealing with the cool, awesome monsters. You should be sent on you know, the fun time missions to the monster that's the size of a pug. Yeah. And it's like, what does it do? Oh, it it coughs real hard, but its coughs smell like peppermint, and yeah. that's kind of magical. When it coughs, it shoots itself backwards into a wall on its butt. <laughs> Ow. Peppermint. <laughs> peppermint smell. And you're like, okay, you guys have to rescue Snuffles, the peppermint, <laughs> the peppermint uh, cough dog. Yeah, peppermint pug is the local monster, and you need to go save it. It has the false gold, and now its peppermint breath smells like onions, and you need to cure that. Yeah. Great. What a perfect thing for the Cub Scouts to go do. I guess the book really, what it, the thing it really needs is training wheels, right? Yeah. Just like a couple of smaller steps before you get to the part where you're like, curing, I am Yog sathanta the Santa Claus monster of all things. Yeah. My and breath is a laser. I get that when you're a, a writer that you're like, hey, can you write a cool ass monster? No one was going, oh, sure, I should write something for idiots to, to cure. They're like... No, I've created a cool mountain leveling monster. You're like, yeah, and that's awesome. And I love that. And I love reading about it. I don't want to send a 14-year-old to cure it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it feels irresponsible. <laughs> what is that? A baboon that throws explosions? Maybe don't send the 14-year-old. I mean, unless it's Midoriya. <laughs> you get in there. You can handle that. You've dealt with that before. <laughs> I fight baboons all the time. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. I just put it together. <laughs> oh, you, you mean you didn't know about my history of going to the zoo and hitting baboons? I'm sorry. <laughs> I was real angry when I thought I wasn't going to have powers. <laughs> There was only one thing I could take it out on, because other humans have power, so I went and punched baboons. <laughs> also, the baboons almost murdered me. Have you seen a baboon? Jesus Christ. Also, God's perfect killing Also, machine. two of them were just guys whose quirk was, is a baboon. <laughs> uh, and one guy whose kink was, is a baboon. <laughs> he was friends with those two. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, let's get to the best and worst, because we're, we're way over. Yeah. Way, way over. John, what was your favorite thing about Monster Care Squad? Uh, if I'm going to narrow it down for more than just the setting, mm-hmm. I, I just really like some of the specific town things in the back where it's, it would be so easy to go. Yeah. We're in a utopian society. Everybody helps everybody else, you know, figure it out. Yeah. And then the actual examples of like, here's a town and even in this sort of post-capitalist everyone's helping society they're like okay but what difficulties do you face it's not like getting rid of capitalism solves all problems just a lot of them yeah so what what do you get when you get there and having that list of like okay here's a town here's the monster that is associated with this town here is a list of like the thing the prominent things in that town and then like a d6 of what happens when you arrive? That is such a great way to go like, oh, if I want to onboard someone into it and I don't want to just come up with something whole cloth, any of these have a great description to them. You can get an interesting hook. You can get an interesting place to send them. I love the detail work of the towns in this. Yeah, they're set up great. What is your favorite thing? Uh, as much as I really like that section, and I could, I could honestly, that's like the best Uncle John's bathroom reader section I've come across in an For RPG sure. since like the olden days of monster manuals. Yeah. Where my usual go-to if I'm like, I've got a long poop coming, let me grab my Fiend Folio from first edition because that's weird and I can read it forever. <laughs> that section is perfect for that. It's the best sit there and flip and just get inspired. It is so good. It's rad. Uh, that said, my favorite thing in here, we haven't even mentioned it yet. It's like the last two pages of the book, mm-hmm. which is a list of in-game achievements. Yeah. If you would like to get some Chivos for like succeeding at curing a monster, even though you failed in the first two uh, uh, phases, that's fine. We've got a name for it, a little icon. You can hand it out to the players. It's like a little badge. You're like, congratulations. You completed the, we just did it anyway. Here's an achievement. I think that is a great introduction to, to RPGs that I have not previously come across. I'm sure it's come it's come up several times in other RPGs. It's just that I usually wallow in old ones. <laughs> I wallow in the great old ones. Yes. No, the the fact that it's got a whole list of like, here are some Chivos you can do. So in case you are like, oh, we've done this game a lot and we know, you know, how to do whatever. Like, great. Okay. Can you go through and use all of your aces in one phase. You're like, all right, well, I guess I can try. Yeah. So it's neat. Yeah, it's a neat concept. I like that. Plus, I just really like the thematics here. This is a gorgeous game, and it's well-described. Yes. So there you have it. What was your least favorite thing? Eh, it's, I mean, it's PBTA in general, which just doesn't fit the narrative th- 
idea of this game, but I think if I have to pick a specific thing, it really has to go down to the symbiosis phase itself. And failing when you've already gone through the other two, like I mentioned earlier, it just fully takes the wind out of your sails. Yeah. When you're like, I'm going to do all this stuff and I've got a great idea and this cool plan and I set it up and I'm running up the back of a fucking like super huge monster and I managed to get to its head and I'm going to do Oh, and I failed. Yeah. And it knocks me down and I go back to where I was and I'm like, all right, I guess I get back up and I run up the back and I get to it. And you're like, I'm going to describe all the same shit I just described. Narratively, it probably should have in any, you know, good narrative worked the first time. Yeah. But this is an RPG and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. But when you have to do something this colossal, because the monsters are so monumental, it just, when you do all of the setup moves and then fail, it just feels like, oh, I don't care anymore. Yeah. I'm a little torn here because I want to agree with you, but but really heighten it to point out that this game's got that spiral mechanic to it, where the first time you go through, you're incentivized. You don't want to do this phase again or the previous phase again, for that matter. So yeah. you're like, I'm going to spend as much a- as many aces as I can to just get this done to succeed. And then when the dice fuck you over anyway and you fail, not only are you going back to the finish li- or the start line, but now you have a lot less aces. Yeah. So that's that's a bummer. But that's more or less just what you were saying, just kind of adding to it. Um, I think for me, it's that this game has a small problem of falling into the mechanical design trap of introducing moves that don't do anything, but define that other people can't do it. Other people can't do a thing that felt like they should have been able to do it. Yeah. Like any of the, the moves that do not have a mechanical thing, but they're just like, you can do this thing now. I'm like, shouldn't I be able to always do that thing? It's not even a thing I can like roll for. It just happens. Yeah. So that's. That's probably my least favorite there. I mean, it's because there's a giant list of interesting moves to pick from, and a lot of them create that situation when you're when you're building your character. I, I feel like a, a second pass on that section, pro- or probably a third or fourth pass. I don't want to belittle the process of design. I'm sure they no. put a shitload of work into this. Yes. Um, but, but you know, uh, just another pass to be like, hey, do any of these either create narrative lockouts where they otherwise would not have existed, or just not actually do anything? Yeah. In which case, let's fix those. Exactly. So that'd probably be my least favorite. But would you play this game? Uh, I have before. I don't know that I would again. I would have to play it with someone that who's like, I have played this a lot and I know all of the issues and the reasons those happen and how to get around them. Like, I would need someone that was a veteran at this. And then I would go, great, sure, let me do that. But having played it once, I'm like, I like the idea, but I don't like the system enough to want to play it again. So technically no for me okay that's fair you I mean granted you have already played it which yes. kind of kind of throws a narrative or a wrench into our usual judging system indeed so instead i need you to give it a number of strawberries out of 17 Ooh, i will give it 12 strawberries a good dozen okay a dozen strawberries whereas i have not played this before and i probably would if i'm honest i'm so charmed by the by the uh, narrative structure and the story and the thematic elements to this that and, and to the strong commitment to a non-combat model. Yes. That I would probably throw this a shot anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, so so I, I, I'd i like to find out for myself. I'd like to be proven wrong about how I feel like they're the spiral mechanics and a few of the other issues I'm perceiving here. Um, and I'm sure I would be if I played it with the right group of people. So, so yeah, I'm going to say yes. Great. Mm-hmm. 
and I'll give it 13 strawberries, even though I don't need to give Ooh, a that. Baker's dozen a Baker's dozen of strawberries. Dozen, yeah, mm-hmm, an unlucky number of strawberries. <laughs> I'll give it four strawberries. <laughs> I'm going to give it Ocean's 13 strawberries. <laughs> I'll give it Ocean's eight strawberries. <laughs> All right. So, uh, hey. Thank you. That That's going to be the end of that. But if you want to hear us make characters in Monster Care Squad, why the chance is yours, because all you have to do is head over to our Patreon and subscribe or just listen if you're already subscribed. And if you are, we appreciate you. Yeah. And if you're not, we still appreciate you just for listening. Yeah. You listen to this whole ass episode where we rambled the fuck on about like, I don't know, setters and other nonsense Tom at the beginning Hoops, of this. Gimble shanks. Like, we fucked around a lot during this, and, we, and thank you for joining us Thank for you it. for being here anyway. But if you want to hear more, then head to patreon.com slash systemmaster. If you support us at the $2 level, you'll get the bonus content for this show, where we make characters in the game. We just reviewed a little bit of a deep dive. Uh, we can talk more about mechanics because we're actually interacting directly with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We've been doing it for years, so you get your $2 one for a month stretches you back for literally hundreds of additional bonus episodes. Yep. You're going to be so many hours. You got so many hours of extra content. That's going to keep you busy at work. There are other levels available. There's a $4 level and unlocks all the star Wars bonus content and a $10 level that gets you two more shows on top of that. The afterthought on the TV mastery. So, you know, consider it, stop on by support us at those levels and uh, get yourself some extra content. Plus, uh, you know, secret bonus rooms and colors and stuff on our, on our discord. Yep. And hey, if you can't do any of that, we understand. You know, we understand for whatever reason. Uh, and, and so all we ask you to do in that situation is just keep on listening as well as rate and review wherever you find our rating and review platforms available to you. Yes. Or buy our books. Yes. We have many, many books. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With more coming real quick. And heck, our books recently got us a deal where we're like keynote speakers at an event at a, at a local museum. That is like in three days. That is wild. Cool stuff. Yeah. Neat. So... Feel free to buy our books. Otherwise, hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again real soon with yet more exciting System Mastery content and especially more sweater weather content. And you, have a good one. (laughs) 